This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder and executive director of the 20 plus year old nonprofit organization, the Lynn Cohen Foundation, and the SEAM, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing female founders, entrepreneurs, scientists, doctors, researchers to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. I am very excited to be here with you today, Gloria. This is a huge treat for me, and I feel honored and just overwhelmed to be able to interview you. I don't even want to try to do your bio because it's enormous, Um, but what I will say and then let you introduce yourself is you are a... um, You're one of those women who for so many years now has been at the forefront of helping to empower other women. And to me, that's like the basis of what I get from what you do and for women to completely take charge of their lives. In our, my world, it's their health, their wellness, but that encompasses everything. And, um, you know, you're a woman who I've looked up to and just been on you know, the four, the, I can't always say forefront again, but like the battlegrounds I want to, you know, for women for so long. So thank you for joining me today. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself because it is, you know, too much for me to even try to tackle. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I, I would not say that, but I thank you very much for that very warm introduction. And uh, I'll just say uh, I'm Gloria Felt. I am co-founder and president of Take the Lead. We are a nonprofit organization with the mission of preparing, developing, inspiring, and propelling women of all diversities and intersectionalities to take their fair and equal share of leadership positions across every sector by 2025. Now, I know that's a mouthful, but, uh, but, but, but when I really looked at what needed to happen, uh, it seemed to me that we needed to put all of those pieces together and that there weren't any women's leadership programs that I saw that were in fact putting all of those pieces together into a comprehensive program. And I found that it makes all the difference for women when you can provide them with all of those different elements that they need. Um, And I'll I'll talk a little more about the basis, the underlying context for that in a little bit, I'm sure. I I know that that, uh, people are always fascinated with the fact that I was uh, in my last position before starting Take the Lead, that I was found, that I was uh, uh, CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, and certainly that's relevant to your your women's health topics here. And uh, that capped a 30-year career with the organization, which I started out in West Texas in 1974. And uh, then I, I, uh, I built that small affiliate into a medium-sized one, went to Arizona and built that affiliate into one of the largest in the country and then had the opportunity just about the time I was planning to to take a couple of years off and I was getting bored and I thought I would do something completely different for a while. And actually, I thought I would start writing books then. That was that was always in my mind that one of these days, I'm going to be an author. One of these days, one of these days. And life kept intervening, interfering with that. So, um, so that I was recruited to take the position of the national presidency, which I did for nine years. And at the 30-year mark, it seemed like if I was ever going to write those books, I needed to get with it. And, uh, and then the la- I did write several books, but the last one I wrote led me to 
to co-found take the lead because one of the things I realized, and these things are connected, is that until and unless women do take our fair and equal share of leadership positions, pay, and 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 uh, power across every sector, we're going to keep fighting the same battles over and over and over again. And I was just done with that. <laughs> I was just done with that. And I was like, okay, we got to do something radically different here. And uh, and that's that was the precursor for my just starting take the lead and focusing on the larger picture of of uh, gender parity and leadership. Everything, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you said, yes. yes. Like, Thank you. Pom poms, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, the first thing I thought of was the new director of the cancer center at USC Norris Comprehensive Cancer Center, which is where one of the Lynn Cohen Foundation's preventive care clinics resides, um, is a woman, she's a female. She just started, I think it's been about a year. Um, I'm now on the director's leadership council board, and so I get to interact with her regularly, and it's been amazing. And just from a, you know, a tiny leader, a tiny piece of this puzzle that, you know, you're tackling a lot, but I've been involved at Norris now for 20 years and working with a, um, a woman head of the cancer center, it changes everything from soup to nuts. I mean, it really changes everything in the way that she handles meetings and the way she interacts with people in the way that she brings her own experience to oversee the entire, you know, medical center. Um, obviously, as someone in the female healthcare space, I'm, you know, incredibly appreciative. But I think even, you know, people who aren't and people who are at the cancer center coming from other sides that are not related to female, you know, cancers, breast, ovarian, uterine, cervical, it is, it is, with such a breath of fresh air, you know? And I think one of the things that so many people don't think about when they think about women taking leadership roles is, you know, we're intrinsically different than men. We're built differently from the inside out and we see things differently and we hold meetings differently and we chat, we interact with people differently. And it's, to me, it just is such a no brainer, you know, women are, should be in charge. So, <laughs> Hello, you know, and so one of the things I found in what I do is that women have such a difficult time taking charge of their own health and wellness because they put everybody else first. And so, you know, when we when we think about taking care of everybody and making sure, you know, your kids are OK, your spouse is OK, everyone around you, that women really put themselves on the back burner, which is why, you know, so many terrible things that can happen, you know, breast cancer goes undetected, ovarian cancer goes undetected. We sort of push these, you know, maybe subtle signs or even overt signs our bodies are giving us to the side because we're taking care of everybody else. So how do we as women not stop doing that? Because I believe, you know, for me, I know it's in my nature to take care of those around me, but how do we do that while also getting ourselves to the top of the leadership pole. How do you recommend, like, where do you see that fitting in? That's a, it's a, it's a great, a great way of putting it and a great question. And you've really covered a lot of what 
I found when I did my research for the book, No Excuses, which then led me to write the current new book that I've just released called Intentioning. And I'll, I'll talk about how the research that I did for those really fit in with each other. Because when, when I wrote No Excuses, it was because I was obsessed with finding out why women hadn't reached parity in leadership, even though we had opened doors, we had changed laws, we had removed most of the systemic barriers. And uh, not that there aren't still some biases and barriers out there, there certainly are. But honestly, I, I had to come to terms with the fact that it's there's so much socialization that is not overtly systemic. It's the, it's there in our it's there in our DNA. It's there in our the you know the 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 weather of our culture. It's just it's just there. And I agree with you that we don't want to lose those caring characteristics that have been socialized into us. And I really believe all of this is socialization. Um, I don't think either men or women are better at anything. It's, it's really about how we are socialized. And, and there are very, even today, very major differences in how boys and girls, men and women are socialized and also rewarded or punished in our society. So let me, let me sort of unpack that a little bit, which is that what I found is that that uh, much of this is rooted in women's relationship with power, or much of these discrepancies are related in women's relationship with power. And that as we have been socialized to take secondary positions, part of that secondary position is you're the caregiver, you're not the cared for. Right. And so we learn that and there are, there are certainly rewards for being a good caregiver, as you noted. But we have to balance it out because, you know, like they always say, if, if you're if you're in an airplane and, and and there's a crash, you should put your own oxygen mask on first, because if you can't save yourself, you can't save anybody else. Many of us, many of us deal with our families that way. And, I, you know, as you were ticking off all of the all of the women's health issues that we sometimes overlook because we're taking care of other people. I was thinking also of heart disease, which is such a major killer of women, especially younger women who don't notice the symptoms because they're, they're doing it. They're usually, it's usually in their young family time and they're just not paying attention to it. So it's, it's all, it's all really important. And it's, a, it, there's a lot of education that needs to go on to help women know how to recognize uh, uh, things that, that, that are not, uh, that they, they need to just know, know more about their bodies and how to take care of them. There are two things that everyone needs in order to be a full citizen. And one of them is you have to be able to own and control your body. And the other is you have to be able to earn money. You have to be able to support yourself. If you have those two things, you, you then have the ability to not only be a full-fledged citizen, but you also uh, don't have to stay in an abusive relationship, for example. You have the option to, uh, to, to have relationships in your life that are nurturing to you so that you aren't always in that position of having to be the the secondary person and the person who's only there to, to take care of other people. So th these issues are complex, but they boil down to some very simple things. And the very simple things are that everyone, everyone should have the opportunity to fulfill their, their dreams, to have dreams, to, uh, to be able to give their gifts and their talents to society. And you can't do that if you are not afforded equal citizenship in the, in the sense that I was just talking about. Yes, 100%. Where do you think that women 
may have at this may reach new levels in the last, you know, decade or two decades that you are proud of, or that you can sit back and say, like, we've done it in this industry, or we've done it in this sector, where are we falling short in other sectors? Have you seen that? Is that, is that a relevant question? Yes, yes, I have seen great progress. And I, what, what I've seen is that in, in the last decade, women went from 18% of the top leadership positions to right about 25%. And I really do believe that once you hit that 25% mark, it's easier to double to 50% than it was to have these incremental 1% at a time increases. Now, inter-pandemic. Inter-pandemic. And the pundits say that the pandemic has set women back by at least 10 years. I say that because we know, for example, I mean, women, women, there are twice as many women out of work as men, just for starters here. And women are slower at, at getting back into the workplace for many different reasons. Um, the, the, just to name a few, it's not a surprise to anybody, but apparently the world didn't realize that women were employed in most of the lower paid frontline jobs. And so they were the first to lose their jobs for one thing. And their pay was low enough that it didn't make sense for them to try to get back into the workforce when somebody had to be home taking care of the kids and doing homeschooling, right? So more women were were incented not to go back into the workplace, either for a job they didn't want in the first place, or uh, because somebody had to be doing the caregiving. So that, I mean, that's, that's a part of it, but I think the bigger part is that I think the, the pandemic is, is one of those, <clears throat> excuse me, disruptions like a pandemic are moments of disruption, enormous disruption. And they are also moments of enormous rebirth. And so you have a chance to rethink things. So when people say to me, the pandemic has set women back by 10 years, I say, yes, and this is exactly the kind of disruption that can cause us to rethink how our workplaces are designed. Because now, in order to bring women back into the workplace, companies have to do things women have been asking for for years. Family leave the ability to work flexible hours and flexible locations. Uh, now it's clear you can do those things and not only not reduce productivity, but you can even have a better workforce when you're willing to do that. So I think that we can take this moment of opportunity to make it better, to make the workplace more welcoming to families because men too would like to be more involved with their children, but they've been afraid. You know, men have been put in a box too. hundred percent. You know, as this, as that, you know, having to be the bread, the sole breadwinners. Well, that's really not how anybody lives anymore. And, and so men would like to be able to take off and go to that soccer game. And, and now I think they're feeling more opportunity to do that. So I, I see this as a moment when we need to take the opportunity. We need to take the opportunity to promote things like caregiving as infrastructure. I mean, I never in my lifetime thought I would hear those two words in the same sentence. I know. But now there are bills in Congress to do that. Yeah. They may not pass or they may not pass 100%, but 
this is going to be a huge sea change. A hundred percent. I totally agree. I think, I mean, yeah, there's no question about that. You know, having, taking some of the caregiving burden off of women is, you know, a huge part of it. What are the other sort of factors that you see as the reasons why women have those low paying jobs Mm -hmm. or women have, you know, haven't been able to sort of move in the same trajectory um, that we would like to see them move in. Are there other reasons, other sort of underlying factors that we're, we're not thinking about or as a, as, a, as a society and communities that we're not really thinking about or being able to address even at a younger age, you know, before we get to that stage where we're getting our first job or second job or whatever it may be? Some very important things. One is, I, I think I mentioned women's relationship with power. So, so I will just say, I, I, I found that because we're socialized very differently around power, that it's more likely that for women, the locus of power is by our cultural learnings taken outside of ourselves. You know, whereas little boys are born, they hop out of the womb knowing they own the world because they do, and they're encouraged to. Uh, girls are still first talked to about how they look, how they behave. Um, are they being nice? Are they sitting still? <laughs> you know, these are these are things that that really shape you. So, in terms of of things that we can do, anybody can do right away. And one of them is to think about the words that we're using with with uh, our children as they're growing up, and just you know, how, what how does this imprint them? But uh, really, the the thing is that the narrative of power through the ages, because who's been writing the history books after all, has been usually the people who won wars and who started the wars, it was the men. So, <laughs> uh, so the narrative history has been about fighting and wars and, and, and assuming that the resources are scarce. Mm-hmm. Whereas the resources we need these days, because our economy is based on brains, not brawn, are resources that are infinite, like human intelligence and innovation and creativity and love and empathy. I mean, those are the things that we need now more than physical strength. And so I think that once I am able to help women stop thinking about power as being an oppressive power over, but rather think about it as a generative, innovative, creative power too, then I honestly, when I teach that, I see literally, I know we're wearing actual masks these days, but, but I I would see like masks of expression fall off of their faces and they'd say, well, I want that. You know, I want that kind of power. I want to be able to make things happen. I want the power to make things happen for my, my family, my, 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 my world, my, my children, my community, my business, whatever. And, uh, and, and they realized that far from there being a finite pie, the pie is actually infinite. If I help you and you help me, we both have more. Rather than fighting over the crumbs, we're going to get further yeah. if we collaborate. And so those are, those are skills that women have learned because they've been survival skills. And so now they've become our superpowers. These are now our superpowers. These are the reasons why companies with more women in their leadership make more money. I mean, the business case is totally clear at this point that companies with more women in their leadership are more profitable in every imaginable way. So it's up to us as women to leverage that, not to take less. We have to 
study and assess our power, our worth, our value in the marketplace and ask for it and insist that we get it. And that part of it is not something that somebody else can do for us. Nobody's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, I think you ought to become the executive vice president. Nobody's going to do that for you. You have to raise your hand and say, I, I, here's why I am qualified for that role and why I would like to have it. You have to be willing to say that. And we have not been socialized that way. And I guess the last thing I would say about that is that um, I, I'll just, you know, some other data that may be helpful to understand it, which is that women don't ask for as much as men do. And if you want to get to the root of the problem, if you want to get to the root of the pay gap, we don't ask for as much. Right. We don't negotiate as strongly for our first immediate, our, our beginning compensation. And every other compensation we have is built off of that. Mm -hmm. The, the um, website ZipRecruiter, where you can apply for jobs or you can post jobs, crunched about 100,000 job application information. Um, and they found that women on average asked over $11,000 less for the same job with the same experience as men the same qualifications. Wow. You know what, if you, as my daddy used to say, she who asks gets. <laughs> and if you don't ask, you don't get. And we have to, we can start teaching young women from an early age, how to assess their value in the marketplace, because there are plenty of websites now that you can go to, to find that out. Mm -hmm. And then we have to teach them how to negotiate in a positive way to get paid what they're worth and to get promoted as they are worthy of being promoted. hundred percent. So I, to me, I break it down to a couple of the first foremost, I, to me, the most important thing that you, well, you, a tidbit of one of the most important things that you said was that is teaching women and young girls, starting with young girls, that they own the power that yes. they, they own it. Right. And we have to empower women of all ages, starting young, to take control of their life, of their health, wellness, their, and that includes their financial well-being, their mental health, their physical health, everything. Because if we don't, you know, no one will do it for us. To me, that's a really, really powerful, important narrative because I think there are women, I know them, who sort of one, sit back and wait for it to happen or think that, well, let me wait till things change. Mm -hmm. And so the only way they'll change is if we make it happen. Um, I find that to be, you know, and so important. And I, I've been preaching that for two, 20 years now on the health and wellness side, but it translates into everything else. Like if you don't take care of yourself and you don't put yourself out there and you don't push for it, nobody's going to do it for you. And certainly not the men that you're competing against. And I think the other piece, when you brought up the word um, collaboration, really made me think about a couple of things. I think, in, I think historically women have been in very competitive with each other because there were only a few spots for us. And so if we got it, we didn't really sort of collaborate with the women either we were working with, we were working for, or the women sort of, you know, we were, um, you know, our friends even to help them get to that place as well. And in my opinion, I, I've seen a, a nice shift, a really good shift in that where yeah. women are now, it's more than just women helping women and women, you know, women for women. It's about collaborating 
and saying, no, I'm here. I'm going to show you how to get here. I'm going to share with you my salary and I'm going to share with you how I negotiated and advocated for myself to get that salary, um, whether you're in the same company or a completely different sector. And I think that's a really important thing because I believe as women, we are naturally maybe socialized or born with it to be collaborative and to be you know, excited to work as part of a group. I think we're probably socialized that we're always supposed to be that person. But I I also think that could be used to our advantage um, where we're really pushing each other and helping each other along. And I don't think we did that historically. And I, I do see the the tide shifting, which is which is very promising. So it's an interesting question, and and there I guess there are several different elements of it. One is that that another way that boys versus girls are socialized is that boys start playing team sports from an early age, and it's only been in recent generations, maybe one and a half generations, that girls have even had the opportunity to play team sports. That makes a huge difference. We've already seen that statistically in girls' ambitions and intentions for leadership. So, and, and, and what comes out of that is a recognition and an understanding that you have more power, you have, you, you, you will get further in as a team than you would as an individual. And, and I agree with you that there was a, there was a whole era of the mean girls and the, you know, the, the, um, you know, the, there's only one at the table. And so I'm going to be that one and I'm not going to help the next woman along. But if you think about pre, you know, like historically women have had to get together think about the old quilting bees. I mean, that was their, that was part of their socialization too. So we can re, we can read, we can do the, the quilting bee, but in an, in a 21st century manner. And to answer your question of how to get that to happen and how to move to this next stage, because I do believe that the 20th century was all about opening doors. The 21st century is about walking through those doors until we get to where we want to go. And so to get for after, after I teach women how to embrace their power, the next thing is this book. The next thing is the power to what, what difference does it make if I tell you how great you are and how much power you have? You got to use it. That doesn't count if you're not using it. So, and how do you use it? So that is the question that I pose in my new book, Intentioning. The power to what? what? What is it that is your purpose? What is it that you want to accomplish? What is your purpose in life? And how will you do it? And I distinguish between ambition and intention, by the way. I, I, I believe that ambition is important, but it is the fuel that can drive your intention. And ambition is I want, I wish, I think, I hope, I dream maybe intention takes that fuel takes that idea and that vision and turns it into reality turns it into makes it happen because i I, i'm fond of quoting the uh the humorous will rogers who used to say even if you're on the right track you'll get run over if you just sit there (laughs) and so for me intentioning is about get up and go do it you know I, i i'm happy for you to have big ambitions, but talk to me about what you've actually done. That's what really counts. And so what I want to do is to help women ask that question of themselves 
the power to what? What, what is it that I want to be known for? What is it that I want to know myself for? What is it? How do I want to show up in this world? And what is the intention that I will achieve? Intentioning is about, it's, it's, not, just, it's, it's not just something that I think can happen. It's happening. I know it will happen. I will make it happen. And even if it doesn't happen the way I originally thought it was going to happen, I'm going to make something happen <laughs> and, 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 and it will, you'll get further. You just will get further to what you want. That takes a lot of courage. So I believe intention has three parts. It's vision, courage, action, VCA, vision, courage, action. Ambition will give you the vision. So that's great. But you have to have the courage to believe you can do it. And then you have to literally put one foot in front of the other and take action until you get to where you want to be. Yeah. And, and sometimes you have to put one foot in front of the other first before you have the courage. I think it's that's something else you have to do it. Yeah. yeah. That's something else we need to teach young women, which is don't wait until you are ready. Don't wait until you have everything you think you need. Just go do it. And don't be afraid to fail. Yes. I think women even more, much more so than men are so afraid to fail that yes. we plan it till we think it's perfect before we do it. But failure is the biggest, the best way to learn. And so in order, if you just get in there and do it, yeah, you will fail. We all fail and, and own it, you know, make that part of your, your story in, and your path to power. But the, the fail, the, the fear of failure is so real. Mm-hmm. And I do think it is even more real for women and it's a, and it's what holds a lot of women back. So yeah, they need the courage to go out and do it. And then the courage to say, I might fall flat on my face, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to learn from that. And my next, you know, the next 10 yards is going to be better because I, you know, I went through that. Absolutely. So, 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 so true. And to, and to, and to, to your first question of how can we help younger women get there? And it's, it's helpful if younger people have opportunities to, try those things or try doing more than they thought they could do at an age where it's fine for them to understand, okay, you know, this maybe didn't go the way I wanted it to. I'm picking myself up. I'm dusting myself off. I didn't die as a result. (laughs) I can, I can, I can do this. I can keep going. I completely agree. I do. And I think having the the courage and also having the, um, some, I guess it's just knowledge in choosing the people around you who are going to support that as well. Because I think, you know, it has to come from within. We have to be able, like you said, to, you know, have the courage to believe in ourselves and believe that, you know, we're not just going to take, we're not just going to think it, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's surrounding ourselves, whether it be your, your partner, your spouse, your friends who believe in you and who, you know, believe that you can and support you doing that. And back to the quilting analogy, which I think is beautiful. You know, I don't see the dynamic changing overnight and who's sort of the caretaker and the caregiver in the family. Um, But that idea of, you know, the community of women helping each other, not just in terms of, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, we're, there's one spot at the boardroom table, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to help you get there. But before, way before that, that community of women helping each other, you know, takes a village to raise a family. So 
you know, leaning on people and leaning on those, that group that you've surrounded yourself with, who is going to encourage you and support you to help you. Because I also think in general, almost the more powerful women I know, the less likely they are to ask for help. Because again, I think we were socialized to believe that that made us weak and, you know, and it wasn't something that we do. We just suck it up or we deal with it ourselves. But as, as important as I think failure is, I also believe that asking for help is so important and saying, I need to get this done. I want to get this done. I'm going down this path, but I can't physically be in two places at once, you know? So I, I'm going to ask you to pick right. up my kids or help right. me with dinner and putting yes. those sort of tasks that we've been socialized to do hundred percent ourselves on those around us who can help us with them. I think is a big, will take a lot of the burden off of us. Um, one of, one of the women, one of the women I interviewed for intentioning is named Tiffany Dufu. And she recently, or about three years ago, I guess, or four years ago, wrote a book called drop the ball. Mm. And basically the thesis of it is what she learned as she became a parent who was running organizations and, you know, had, had a, husband and had, you know, all the things that we all deal with was her, her, it's, she's got lots of really great advice about how you, how many balls can you drop? And still things will be just fine. You know, everything will be just fine. You can, you can do that. And, and so I wanted to interview her for intentioning because of that book, because I knew that I wanted one of the leadership intentioning tools to be uh, strike your own damn balance. Yeah. Because, because, you know, women are given such belief that we can't quote, have it all. I mean, this narrative just makes me nuts. It just needs to go away. It's like, nobody has it all. Nobody, every, every day in everybody's life is a series of choices. So you have what you want. You don't have, nobody has it all. So I knew I wanted to, to make that one of the leadership intentioning tools. Well, so what's relevant here is that in the pandemic, I went back and I re-interviewed all of the women that I had interviewed initially for this book. And what I noticed was that there were three different kinds of strategies that women use. There, there were some women who just said, I'm closing my business. I can't do this. I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to take two years off. I'm going to take care of myself. There were a lot of babies born during this time to, to, to women who, who took that strategy. And not everybody had the wherewithal to be able to do that. Then there were some women who's also in the book. There's a woman who's also in the book named a pianist and composer named Maria Arsenevich. And like most performers, every you know all of the performing venues were closed. And so literally her life, her business went away in a flash. What did she do? She turned her home into a recording studio. She has never been more productive. She has written music. She has written whole, she's, she's, in, she's got one that's going to become a Broadway musical. Uh, she's like, you know, she has never been more productive or more brilliant. And she now has, I think about 600,000 Instagram followers and millions and millions of people watch her music on YouTube. And she's just, I mean, she's just remarkable. Then there are the women like Tiffany who are equally remarkable in a different way. So Tiffany had just started just before the pandemic. She had just started a company called The Crew. And The Crew 
curates groups of eight women on the exact theory that you have expressed, which is that we're all stronger when we have our support network. And so women whose interests would, would align and needs would align, and they were location-based. Oh, all of a sudden, there was Zoom everywhere, and nobody had to be location-based anymore. Her company has grown by leaps and bounds because of the pandemic, because the, she saw the opportunity that the pandemic gave her with that simple tool to match people regardless of where they live. And as a consequence of that, she has, she has grown tremendously and she has gotten millions of dollars in investments. So she's gonna be able to continue that growth. So there's an example of a company that can do very much what you're talking about, which is to intentionally teach women how to support each other and give them systems by which they can support each other. And um, so we can we we are in a, we are in a great moment right now. We really are in a moment of rebirth in the midst of this disruption. And I'm very optimistic about the future. I totally agree. There was an interesting article in the New York Times yesterday or over the weekend about how sort of entrepreneurism, entrepreneurialism in general, has mm-hmm. really grown out of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think. In the in the examples you gave are perfect. You know they're perfect. The, those women are perfect examples of using. You know what? Okay, this is what's shut down, but this is what's opened up. Right. Um, when I started doing this podcast, I said to the gal who helps me, I was like, "Well, let's just do it. Everyone else's podcasts sound crappy anyway, so we'll just do it." You know, because now's the time. You, you know, every no one's expecting that we're going to go to an incredible sound booth somewhere, you know, with incredible technology, we'll just do it and, you know, rip the bandaid and make it happen. The last point I want to bring up is, um, I'd love to hear your take on this. One of my dearest friends who I've actually interviewed for this podcast, Jenny Galuzzo, started a company called, she co-founded a company called The Second Shift. And Mm -hmm. it's for women who, you know, really were out of the workplace and want to get back into the workplace and helping place them, not just in full-time positions, but a lot of you know, a lot of companies hire for project-based, you know, project-based jobs. And so it's, you know, saying, let's get you back into the workplace after, for whatever reason, you know, mm-hmm. if you're more traditional is you stopped working when you had kids and now you're coming back. And, you know, one of the quotes that she told me years ago, not when I interviewed her is, you know, women get more, are, get more done in the carpool line than most men do all day at, in the office. I love uh, that. I remember you know, that. And, and if you've ever one. sat in a carpool line, it's true. You know, we don't waste time. I mean, my, my brother, who's seven years younger than I am, was in the military for 15 years. And he is, you know, a strict military kid. And he makes fun of me. He's like, you are so, you, you don't waste a minute, you know, oh, we have five minutes, let's stop and do this. And then we'll go back. You know, there's, there's no time to dilly dally, but, you know, Jenny's point was more about that. It just, cause you weren't working doesn't mean you weren't working right. and mean you weren't doing things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if you, you know, you wanted to be at home, quote unquote, with your kids when they were little, you were probably running five organizations for the school or getting, you know, five kids together for carpools and getting them here and there and there all over the place. 
And those skills were still churning in your brain. They didn't get turned off. So don't think you can't come back into the workplace and not come back as an entry-level position. You know, you, you, you have experience, the original experience, and even that quote-unquote time off was really just continuing the experience of whatever it was you were doing and the managerial skills and the operational skills and the marketing skills and everything else. And I think there are a lot of women that sell themselves short when they stepped out of the workplace. First of all, it's very hard to get back in. Um, so I'm you know, proud of her for starting that business, but also knowing that you're coming in you know, at a level in which you once again need to advocate for yourself and take the power to say, I'm worthy of this. I'm worthy of this position that comes with this salary. And here are the reasons why. Um, and really flipping that narrative on its head and saying, you know, no, it's it's about what I bring to you. And I I, I didn't lose anything. And I think um it's a big, it's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I I I I say put parenthood on your resume. Yeah. I, I, I'm seriously, I think we, 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 we should start doing things like that. And, and the things that have been undervalued in our culture, what we can do is we can start giving them that value because we, once we start attributing the value to those skills and, and those, uh, the, the things that we learned by parenting yeah. then, and running households. And like you say, you know, doing all the things for your children's school and all those things that we do. Those are those, they are very, very important skills, but nobody is going to think they are if we don't claim them as important skills. So I and I'm serious about it. I mean, people laughed at me the first time I said it. I, I first said it in a I was facilitating a, a panel at a at a big women's conference and 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 I, and I got a big laugh. And then I thought, no, I'm actually serious about this. Put parenthood on your resume. Nothing teaches you more. I have three children. Nothing has taught me more in life than, than, than raising those three children. So absolutely claim it, whatever it is, name it, claim it, own it. I agree. I agree. And it's, you know, you did it pro bono, basically. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, you know, and I really think also during the pandemic, it's encouraging women to, you know, so many of us were at home. I mean, for the first six months, all I did was cook. I have three boys. That's all I did. But I think that, you know, thinking about, well, what did I do during that time? Even if I had to step out of the workplace, that was productive. That was important. That kept society moving along that kept held the community together. That is, that is valued. Um, so I guess the answer is, or the, the real thing is, is telling women to, you know, we have to value our time and ourselves and our skills and then present them in a way when we're ready to, or when we're at that moment to get paid for them. Well, um, then I, I, to that have end, I'm doing that. To, to that end, uh, I'd like to put a, a PS onto my description of the woman who stepped back and said, I can't do this. And she did have to shutter her business. It, it was, it was a very customer facing business and she had just begun getting venture capital investments. And she literally, I mean, it, it I'm sure it, she could have, I'm sure there's always a way, but she, she just decided to step back from it. However, during this time, she also rethought a lot of what's important to her. She's moving back to her home state of Texas and running for Congress. Ah, wow. So listen, you know, leadership is leadership. You know, it's, it's like, there are a lot of different ways that you can take leadership and own your power and contribute your, 
your highest and best intentions to society and answer that question, the power to what, you know, what is it that I am here that I really want to contribute to this world and that I can do. So I, I think that, uh, I think we'll see a lot more of that rethinking as we go forward. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We, we all are fortunate. If we're, if we are fortunate, we all live long enough to choose to do several different things in our life. And uh, so I think that that's, you know, I, to, to put a wrapper on all of it, the important thing is that we do know, own and embrace the power that we do have. And it's phenomenal. And that we ask ourselves that next question, the power to what, what is the intention that I have for using the power that I know that I have in this world. And I, and I believe honestly, when women do that, as a collective and as a collaborative and individually, we will have a better, healthier, happier world in all respects, uh, not just for women, but for families, for children, for the community. We've seen that, co- that countries that, that were run by women all did better during the pandemic yeah. than other countries. We've seen the value of, of, of what I call leading like a woman and using these attributes that have been acculturated into us that are now our superpowers. Mm-hmm. We, this is this is our time this is our moment and uh and i'm 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 feel very blessed to be able to be talking with you about it and very blessed to be able to be part of that movement well i want to thank you for being one of the pioneers in the movement and for you know just being someone who's always encouraged women to take their power and to take control of their lives um, which trickles down into everything, everything. 